Hi, and welcome to The Independent Editor. Today, we're going to be talking about arguably the most important, and personally speaking, intimidating aspect of becoming an independent editor, which is sourcing clients. You're listening to The Independent Editor Podcast with Madison Utley and Stuart Horwitz, where we tell you the questions you should be asking as you plunge into the chaos of freelance editing. And then we answer them. Um, so to start us off, Stuart, I think it would be helpful if you could walk us through how you were connected with your first few clients and what kind of getting that ball rolling looks like for you. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm assuming that people have listened to episode one as this is only episode three. I don't, hopefully we're not cherry picking already. You know, I mean, it's sort of like, but if you haven't, episode one talks about my trifold brochure that a literary agent handed out at a bookstore presentation on how to get a literary agent. And I was a writing consultant and I got two clients from that. Um, but I think it's also interesting to think about, I know somebody who gave a presentation at their library. I know somebody who uh, left their former employer and then was like a stringer for them, you know, like those people who you're already sort of vetted with. Mm-hmm. Um, I know people who've done some pro bono work, which is kind of a complicated concept in and of itself. I mean, we still do pro bono work, but then there's a lot of time when you don't want to be doing pro bono work because you want to get paid because you don't want to have another job. But at the very beginning, a little bit of pro bono work for your favorite nonprofit or your kid's school, um, you know, things that you can add to your resume. Uh, I mean, I feel like there are almost an endless variety of places where you can get jobs once you decide, I'm going to do this. Yes. That makes sense. And it does seem pretty individualized as well, which is an aspect that I almost didn't like about it. <laughs> I wanted someone to tell me like, no, you, you know, do this. This is the best first place to look. And it's pretty much like look at your life and then find the opportunities within that at like the ground level, which I was like, I don't want to. <laughs> right. Well, sense. because you don't want to expose yourself and you right. ask people for favors. And a lot of people don't want to sell Right. I mean, we talked about this. It was either episode one or episode two at this point. But, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about it many more times. But like people feel awkward asking other people for things. And, you know, it's not helpful for me to say, well, you just have to get over that. But you just have to get over that because if you're in business for yourself, you have to ask for the sale. Yeah. And somebody doesn't have anything that they want to buy from you, then you have to ask them to keep you in mind for when they do run into someone who needs what you're selling. You just have to, there's no, there's really no two ways about it. Right. So if at the beginning, you know, it's kind of about keeping it as ground level as it can be and as you need it to be now, obviously Stuart, you're at a place dramatically different in your personal trajectory. And so I know you were telling me that um, a few years back, you did an exercise of eight where you sort of examined now where your clients are coming from. So can you talk us through like, you know, how you sort of got to where you're at and what you found by doing that deep dive? Yeah. So, I mean, I feel like we're always trying to get better, right? We're always trying to get smarter, always trying to like 
not have blinders on. Uh, we hear a lot about data, mining data. So I don't know. I don't really have any data to mine, but I did take like the 50 biggest clients of the previous three years. And I was like, all right, I'm going to figure out where these people are coming from. Mm -hmm. And so I drew up a, it was like a pie chart. And I had uh, literary agents, uh, talent brokers, publishers. And if you're new, you're probably like, well, I don't have any of those sources of referral. Well, okay. I also had my mother in one. I mean, that was friends and family. But when I say friends and family, I mean my mother. Um, previous clients returning for more work or previous clients referring me. Um, I guess people who read my books or saw my presentations, whatever it was, there were eight of them. And I started going through it and I was very confident as I started filling out this diagram. It was like a scattershot. I was like one in here and one here and one here. And I got to the end and it was almost a perfect distribution across all eight categories. It was like six in every category, except I guess I had seven in two, if that's the math. And I was like, this was totally useless, right? But it wasn't because what it, said to me eventually once I got over, I was expecting something simple like, oh, it's going to be literary agents and my mother. <laughs> and I need to put my marketing into these aspects. But what I found was it's all of these things. So I need to sort of keep marketing in all of these areas because they're all rich. Now that might not be true for whomever else, but um you know, if it's coming from everywhere, let's, however it gets here, it's mm -hmm. good. And I think there's this idea that we've talked about a lot where you have to proceed with this belief that the clients are out there and it's just up to you to connect with them and sell them with confidence. It's not, I don't know, you can't, you know, spend time and energy fundamentally doubting if there are clients and if there are clients that are right for you you have to be like, there are, and what I'm tasked with now is finding them and, you know, entering into business with them. And I think that it's cool because that kind of reframes networking from sort of the corporate colds, horrible, whatever it can be. And it kind of starts on a basic level with, you know, communicating what you do well in an authentic way, because it is what you do well. And it is something that you believe in to your people. So it's not going out and synthetically trying to connect with people that you think could benefit you at the start. It's really beginning with the people who, you know, want to help you and want to do so with no hesitation and no shame. And that really is the basis to get to the point where someday you're doing your own exercise of eight. But again, like, that intimidating moment in the beginning where you don't know how to start, it really doesn't have to be necessarily even dramatically out of your comfort zone. Cause the whole idea is you're, you know, kind of starting with the people who are in a safe space. But that said, there is still also an element where you have to really accept that those connections will sometimes pan into something great, but they often won't. And that's okay. Yeah, we're right. Exactly. I mean, I think, You'd be surprised, like the people who you would think would want to help you and have no interest in helping you and people who you weren't even really going to approach and they turn into, you know, this fabulous source of referrals. So, I mean, it's something I think we're going to talk about later today is about sort of filling the, 
ref, you know, the top of the sales funnel with as many prospects as possible. In this context, it would be letting as many people know that you're doing this. I mean, I think the fear comes from the fact that people are going to say no. Well, and they are. And that's okay. I mean, there's sort of like, um, there's a couple different ways of looking at this. I mean, one is, so I, you know, I got this tattoo done and it took five hours of fairly intense, constant pain. Right. And, and the, um, the tattoo artist female did not really want to indulge me in my whining and twisting in my chair and obvious grimacing. So she put on like this nature show of the world's most dangerous animals, like snakes that like bite your eyes. And like, I mean, I guess eventually she was trying to communicate that it could be worse. I think that's what she was saying without saying it. She didn't say much, but there was a bumper sticker on one of the tattoo toolkits that said, but did you die? Which I guess comes from the hangover movies. I didn't know that at the time, but you know, it's sort of like when you get a no, it's, it's not going to kill you. And it, it, it's not really even going to unseat your self-esteem if you can release some of the attachment to it. I mean, we're both huge baseball fans and we've talked many times about the somewhat cliche metaphor that if you're an all-star hitter, you hit the ball three times out of 10. Like, so you're hitting a three, you're hitting 300. But like the other seven times, you can't be going back to the dugout going, I suck. I don't belong in the show. I mean, I know a lot of people who go through this on every level. And in fact, I heard from one today, somebody was not happy and she was like, maybe I just don't belong here. And it's like, okay, well, I can't answer that. I mean, send me the proposal and let's see, you know, how good it was. And maybe it was just that this person's agent didn't love it, or maybe it wasn't a great fit, or maybe you did kind of screw up, but you can't have everything be, I belong here, or I don't belong here. It's too much pressure. You just say, I'm doing this. Okay, that's it. And then after that, it's like, who's going to help me? What am I going to do great at? What am I kind of going to screw up at? Uh, But you know, you just keep kind of keep going. So I don't know, Uh, expecting some no's along the way. It's just got to be part of it. Yeah. And like Stuart mentioned earlier, there's this kind of concept of the sales funnel, which is just a metaphor to help visualize what this process looks like, where, you know, if you have the the gas canister that's going to power your business, there's a funnel on top and you're pouring as much as you can into it, knowing, I don't know how to carry this metaphor forward, what it's a leaky funnel. So not everything's actually going to make it into the can, but it also is helpful. I mean, I have a lot less experience in terms of, the funnel you know, goes to the car. The car. The funnel, the, car. the sales funnel, the gas goes in the funnel, it goes in the car. I guess you ran out of gas. I really have no idea where the sales funnel comes from, but it is helpful to think of a funnel as broader at the top mm-hmm. and narrower as it goes down, thereby indicating that not everybody's making it through this. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's interesting because that is a natural winnowing process and it, happens for a lot of reasons as well. And so that kind of circles back to that kind of healthy distance where you can look at it and see that few, if any, are a matter of you not, you know, assuring this person that you're the right person for the job or that you're competent or that you can handle it. There's all kinds of reasons that people 
kind of fall out of the process. There's even, you know, times where the person realizes for themselves that they're actually not even ready for the project or they're not wanting to pursue it or they didn't realize that you'd actually charge them real money or whatever the reasons are that literally have nothing to do with you. And as someone who does have a tendency to take things personally, that was something that, you know, it's important to really learn and believe that that's going to happen. And that's how it's sort of meant to happen. And you need to trust that the right ones are going to make it through. Yeah. Well, I think that's right. I think independent editors, there's like a profile and I don't know how we feel about profiling. Uh, I'm thinking more like CSI than I am like, you know, discrimination, but like independent editors are people who are very literary, uh, who think, oh, I'm going to be able to make a living reading and writing. What a dream, mm. you know, which is true. But they're also like sort of always think things are their fault and will take the subservient role. This is gross generalizations. Okay. But if it applies to you out there, then, you know, shoe fits, you know what I mean? Certainly applies to me, but over time it's just worn off. I mean, like if I were to say like the number of like crazy things where it's like people have signed contracts for large jobs and disappeared, other people show up out of nowhere you quote something, not even really focusing on it. And like the money's in your bank account before the end of the day. And it's just like, you're I'm like, okay, what, how do we sort of, you, you can't really draw any kind of conclusions except to say the more people you put in the top of the funnel, the more people you'll get out of the bottom of the funnel, but that number is obviously not one-to-one. So when I feel uh, anxious or like I have time on my hands or I should really be marketing my business or whatever that motivation is. It's like, how can I get more people into the top of the funnel? How can I address their concerns? And I know we're going to do a whole episode on handling prospects, but how can I move them through the funnel in an efficient way for me uh, and in an informative way for them and in a chemistry check so that when they come out the bottom, not only did they by, uh, but they were the, they were, we were right for each other, but I wasn't, you know, like some sleight of hand that got them through there. And now we're going to begin a working relationship of one month to a year and a half. That's going to already be off track. Um, so yeah, more people into the top of the funnel and less taking it personally as the inevitable occurs. Yeah. I think that is, you know, it kind of boils down to you need to recognize and acknowledge that in some ways you have no control in a situation with the obvious massive exception of putting in the intelligent effort and kind of authenticity into the process of getting the sales funnel full of people, because it's not you don't, like as Stuart mentioned, it's not about, you know, tricking them or making it a super slippery funnel so that you get as many people through as possible. It really does matter that there is that chemistry and there is sort of the alignment between you and the client. So it's just about, yeah, I mean, not taking it personally, but also not being sneaky in your approach, just putting like good groundwork into filling the funnel. Yeah. And there's one other thing, which is, um, I have an answer to, which is may not sit well with some people, but that's okay because that's part of our code for this podcast is we just say it like it is 
right? And then hopefully we're not trying to offend anybody, but a lot of times people will try to restrict the top of the funnel because they'll think to themselves, if I get all these people, I won't be able to do it. I won't be able to do a good job. I'll uh, get overwhelmed. I'll lose my focus. I'll panic. I'll have an aneurysm, whatever your worst fear is, right? So first of all, you're never going to get all these people. So you can't start restricting it based on if you got them all, because it's just never going to happen. And the other thing is, I mean, I guess this is up for everybody to decide, but like, I personally let the Tao work it out. Okay. Let fate, destiny, karma, whatever you want to say, that the people who end up with me, us, are going to be the people who we're supposed to work with. And we're going to be able to schedule things, delegate things, uh, explain the process to the client, work with their time schedule, but also let them know about our time schedule. It's going to work out. And, you know, it's like everything, either everything is a miracle or nothing is, right? I mean, this mm -hmm. is like how you look at the world. So if you think, oh, I'm not going to go by the Tao, that's ridiculous. You know, like I, instead I have this many number of hours of work and I'm going to only sell this number of hours. Per, you know, I just don't think there's any way that you can calculate that. Honestly, I think you just have to say, I'm going to go for it. And if it's a fit, I'm going to take it. And some weeks that means I'm going to work 27 hours a week. And some weeks that means I'm going to work 65 hours a week and make hay while the sun shines, as the farmers say. And, you know, that, that's the only way that really makes sense to me. And I think another element that's interesting, and this is probably, you know, partially informed by the fact that my entrance to the industry came in the form of like a very significant large scale project is I think in the beginning, as I started to consider if this is something that I would want to do full time, I had the idea that I would only like when I kind of envisioned what it could look like for me, that I would only take on projects like that, which is, I mean, a hilarious thing to think that I would be able to like decide and orchestrate. But I just, as I saw, I was like, no, I liked kind of the neatness of having a big projects to see through knowing that I'm going to get like a big sum of money. And it just felt very like neat and tidy, which appealed to me. But one, that's not realistic. And two, something that we've talked about a lot and I've now seen to be the case is you actually really want projects of just varied projects, varying effort, varying amount of brain power that needs to go into it, varying lengths, varying sizes, varying degrees of seriousness. And I think if I somehow had been able to pull off having, you know, four or five massive projects, that's all I was doing, that I don't think would be sustainable for me. And I don't think I could have given my best if I ever found myself in that scenario. So that's just another reason not to kind of limit what you're trying to attract in your sales funnel, because you don't really necessarily want a one note workflow. Um, yeah, that's true. And I think, uh, you know, the, 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 the key aspect is that the clients, prospective clients are out there and it's really up to you to let them in and believe in yourself enough to say, I can do that. I can do this. I can do this and that. I can do all of those things and I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to get the training. I'm going to do the research. I'm going to understand you know, what it is that's being asked of me. I'm going to communicate well. I'm going to build relationships. I mean, all the stuff that we have to do 
at work and in life anyway. But to be able to go forward and say, I'm going to take what comes my way and do the best I can with it. And I'm not going to put the brakes on. That's just take the brakes off. It's just something that I feel like I have to tell myself sometimes mm. when I'm trying to manipulate the universe. Yes. Okay. So listeners, you might be thinking, yeah, great. This all sounds good. I understand it. I'm willing to network. I'm okay with hearing no. This all feels like, you know, tracking, but yeah, where can interested clients even find me? Like if your mom's out there at the family wedding telling her table mate that, you know, her kid is an editor and should be given more business, where does she refer them? So that's a great question. And that is what we're going to actually talk about next week. We're going to talk through, you know, you need to come up with branding. You need to bring intention to shaping that. You need to define and make clear and communicate your scope of services. You need to start, you know, taking the sales funnel victories that actually make it to the bottom and use them to power your engine. So that is like, we understand that this is kind of the first half, which is like, yes, believe they're out there, believe they'll come to you, believe the right ones will make it to the bottom of the funnel. So then next week we'll actually talk about like, great, you're ready for that. You're ready to like construct your platform. Let's talk about how to do that. And if mom says, come on over here and talk to so-and-so, you got to go. Yeah, you really, you do. I've actually, that was a real example. I've actually had someone reach out to me because my mom sat with him at a wedding table. So there you go. Moms. Yeah. You know. Real story. Moms, man. They free marketing. <laughs> you know, good stuff. You're listening to the Independent Editor Podcast with Madison Utley and Stuart Horwitz, where we tell you the questions you should be asking as you plunge into the chaos of freelance editing. And then we answer them. <laughs>